Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The word of the Lord. I was so eager to get up here. I thank God for grace and mercy, and I do enjoy so much uh, just picking Eric's brain and talking to him and seeing all the wonderful things going on here at Central West End. As I've been at Central, the mother church, for about a year now, and it's been amazing what God continues to show me that he continues to do. He continues to do. And knowing that God is doing work here in St. Louis continues to warm my heart just knowing that there is just so much work that God continues to need to do, not just all around the world, but here even locally and in our community, and God's doing a work, and how much we need to recognize that work and give Him thanks and continue to share that message and love with people that need desperately to hear it. So I'm really thankful to be here with you guys as we are partnering together. We're partners together to share this great message of God's great love. So as we get into the Word, I, I, I'm so thankful for this passage because it, it reminds us, it reminds us of God's great promise to us. And for anyone that's a parent here, if you can just remember, try to remember the last time you delighted in your child or children. And if you don't have children, think about the last time you were a delight to your parents. And maybe this is a distant thing for a lot of us, as some of the children in our lives are just tearing at us with needs and wants and all these different things, especially around Christmas. But maybe there was those special times when you just really delighted in them, or you really delighted and you remembered those times with your parents. For me, I grew up in a typical Asian household, and these words weren't spoken in our household of love, I love you, or I am so proud of you. Those things weren't uttered. They were just assumed. You should know. You have a roof under your head. You should know I love you. You know, you know that we are providing a better life for you. You should know that we love you. So a lot of those assumptions came in that we should just know those. And I know for my parents, it was easier for them to brag to their, to their neighbors or others about us rather than to tell us. So for me to receive that delight from them was difficult. And I remember reading this passage when I was a young man and just trying to picture what it would look like for God to really delight over me. And I was having this barrier. I couldn't see it. And finally, when I was getting older, and especially when I graduated college, I remembered thinking back and God was having me in this quiet place where I was praying and there was singing and rejoicing and worship, just remembering all the things that my parents did for me, though. All those things that they did to show me that love and show me that they were proud of me that I just didn't recognize. They were constantly there cheering me on. My dad teaching me sports, spending that time with me to teach that sport. And then me getting that sport, I remember my dad's smile on his face, me getting it. But it wasn't me getting the sport, it was that time I got to spend with him. And knowing that instance of kind of just remembering that time with him, I know for him it brought him great delight in delighting in me but I also delighted so much in him. So as we reflect this morning, we're thinking about this God that is here, present in our lives, 
present in our community, present in our world, and asking how does he delight over us and how are we delighting in him? So we're going to go deeper in the scriptures this morning and hopefully we'll find that answer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for bringing us to this place where we can find more and more of your delight in our lives, that we see you delight in us, that we can delight in you. We pray that this would charge us for the new year coming forward, that we'll find your presence and your love that will motivate us forward. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The background of this passage in Zephaniah is one that it would have been in the time of King Josiah. And Josiah was known as one of those good kings. And I was going through just kind of my old notes. And I remember in seminary, I had to take this test. It was good king, bad king, good king, bad king. And it's hard because you can go pretty, you know, you can err on the side, bad king, bad king. And so most of the time you just say bad king. But Josiah was actually a good king. So I got that one wrong on my seminary test. But Josiah is a good king. He was one that would bring reformation and reform to the church, reform to God's people. And he was reminding them who God is and how we need to worship him, how we need to live. And as he was bringing about that reform, God was showing through his people, especially prophets like Zephaniah, how we need to worship God in truth and love, how to truly worship him. And that's to see God's presence in our lives and to really love him. Because what had happened at that time is that they had become so arrogant with the ways that they can self-sustain. God had delivered them from the invasion of Assyria and all the Assyrian empire and all the different things that God would do for his people. And all of a sudden, ah, we did it. And we're wealthy again. And we're making it. And they had forgotten who had delivered them, who continues to give them life, and how they continue to be that reflection of God to the people around them. And God is challenging them to remember. Remember who he is and who sustains them who they need to worship. They had become so self-absorbed. This passage in this whole idea of Zephaniah was to get out of this self-absorbed culture and see reality for what it is. What a message for today again, where God is doing that reform. He's doing that changing in our lives, the things that need to happen to bring about his purpose in our community and the world. And that comes first in our delight in him, and our worship in him that fuels us to share that love with those around us. And it comes truly from this close, close, intimate walk with our God. And who is this God? These people that had become so proud and arrogant and and dependent on their own wealth, it shows that these people, they were looking in the wrong places. They were looking to their neighbors. They were looking to other places. And God was saying, when you come back to the temple you'll see who this God is. And this end of this passage here, I was talking to Mary a little before, it feels kind of like a benediction, this promise going forward. You you need to be sent out. And he's saying to them, remember all these challenges I gave you and what it looks like to worship. He ends with this portion, the Lord your God is in your midst. He will delight over you. He loves you so much, but he's mighty to save and he will continue to rejoice over you. And this morning, I want us to wrestle with this idea of what it looks like to take delight in the Lord because he takes delight in us. But why? I find that in my years of ministry, one of the hardest things to, to share with people, especially leaders, leaders in the church, is how are you finding joy with God? 
in the midst of your serving. Because I know our leaders, and our leaders do so much for the church as well as to serve others and to love the community. And in that service, they're doing so much that they're forgetting to be fueled by the source of joy. And in doing and doing and doing, they're emptying themselves and they're forgetting to be refueled by that joy. And then I ask them, where are you finding joy? And it seems like it's an all in the work. And that work becomes so busy that you forget to find that joy at times. And how much we forget then how you're going to get refueled and restored, especially in a hard year. So I don't know how many of you guys, how this year was for you guys, but I know for myself as well as our church at Central, it was a long and hard year. And it was a year that there were a lot of things that were going on. But at the same time, God was showing us glimpses of how his presence was constantly there. His power was constantly upon us. His love was constantly watching over us as we continued to follow him. But we needed to be plugged into the source of joy so that we can continue to carry on and continue to do the work that God is calling us. So there are three things that we're going to look at here in this passage that remind us how to take delight in the Lord, because He delights in us. First, we're going to find God's presence. We delight in God's presence. The Lord your God is with you. He's in your midst. We'll look at God's presence in our life. The second part we're going to see is God's strength. He's the mighty one that saves. The mighty one, the Lord, the mighty warrior who saves, delights in you and saves and rescues you. Lastly, we'll look at God's love. The Lord rejoices over you with singing. We're going to find God's love that is being poured over us, and we can take great delight in the Lord's love. Now, when we talk about God's presence in our lives, it's one of those things that you look at God and you try to figure out what that looks like. And I talked a little bit before about my Asian parents, and I remember I used to be a youth pastor in Chicago for 10 years of my, my ministry, I was a youth pastor, and hearing story after story of these teens and their relationship with their parents, especially their fathers, listening to what it looked like to have this relationship with their dads. And a lot of them, it was either physical absence or emotional absence. And for myself, it was physical absence. My dad decided when I was a young man to take a job overseas. So our typical year would look like my dad working in Indonesia while we stayed in the United States for my education and my sister's educations. So the summer, would, we would go over there to spend time with him for two months over summer break. We would be here in the United States uh, kind of without my dad, just going through the daily routine and the struggle of life. Then in the winter, my dad would come back for Christmas break. So he would spend about two to three weeks with us over winter break. And I knew my dad loved us. He took that job to provide a better life for us. And all those aspects are there, but there's this distance from my father. This physical absence of a father that was there caring for me, disciplining me, guiding me through life. I remember I was giving a speech for National Honor Society when I was in high school, and I saw all the other dads there, and I was like, where's my dad? Where's my dad? And a little part of my soul was just mourning in that moment, knowing that my dad had just taken that job overseas. And I remember as a youth pastor talking to some other kids, and a lot of them just had really severe fathers that really disciplined them heavy-handedly. And their relationship with their fathers were so distant that it was absent because of this emotional 
disconnect and this inability to really care for your child because you're not listening to your child or hearing your child's hurt or pains and just telling them to do it. Do it. You just need to get it done. And in that discipline, sometimes it was physical abuse or kind of emotional abuse, working through those aspects, now this absent father or this distant father was difficult sharing now with the promise of a heavenly father that's always present in your life. You have a God that is present in your life all the time. When you say, hallowed be your name, our God in heaven, our heavenly father who art in heaven, they would have a wall that stood up right there because the father that they picture was their dad rather than the heavenly father that was up above, that loved them. And we need to break that barrier that our biological fathers need to be image bearers of God, but not all are. And as we see a heavenly father that fills that role over us, how much this divine presence is there. This divine presence that's here in our lives, watching over, over us and loving us. And now, for some of us here, we have loving fathers or we have a relationship with our fathers that, that's kind of distant from that aspect. But I've learned that in the church, no matter what kind of relationship you've grown up with your father, you still struggle with this relationship with God, knowing is his presence here with me? Is he with me today? Is he watching over me? How can he be watching over me if I'm going through all these other struggles and all these other things? And God is giving us this beautiful passage as well as what we just went through in this Advent season of God with us, incarnate. He came onto this earth to understand us, to be with us, and to understand he would die for us. That's how much he loved us and wanted to be with us in presence. And he said, and he promised us that he'll come again. And even while we wait, he promised us the Holy Spirit that would be with us, dwelling inside of us, that we can continue to know his ongoing presence in our lives. And I remember a team from Central, they do a, a ministry called Harvest. And Harvest is intended to do work in gardening. <laughs> you say, gardening? And we say gardening because it gardens to immigrant refugees in the St. Louis area. And they use gardens to build relationships. So when people ask me, what does Harvest do? I hate when we have to say, we build gardens. Because it's not just building gardens. It's getting into people's lives because gardens has entered into those opportunities for relationships with the Nepalese, the Congolese, the, Somal the people from Somalia, as well as just all over the world. We've now seen Syrians and Iraqi come into this area. And when we're building a garden for them, we see the opportunity to, to just share with them the opportunities of how we can be a better neighbor, how we can really love on their family and their children that are there. We just had an Advent party in New City Fellowship South, and we invited all the families that we had done gardens for as, and built relationships with. And we had 30, about 35 immigrant refugee kids in there where I got to share from Matthew, Emmanuel, God is with you. And the whole team took on this theme, and they, we built crafts that reminded them that God is with them when they're sleeping. God is with them with a backpack when they're at school. God is with them when they're walking to school. We gave them different aspects to remember these, like these, these truths and promises about God. But God, Emmanuel, came to be with us. God with us. And that reminder 
Can you think of just these kids that are coming from all around the world that had zero concept of this? Who is this God? Why would he be with us? And us sharing the very basic needs that they would need here in St. Louis, as well as just Christ's love and just having this party with them, they were finally understanding a little glimpse of the God that is with them. And as we share more and more, I know that some of the families have been here longer than others, so some of them have become believers. And they point to the relationships they've had with our team that have shared more and more of Christ's love with them and how we can see God's presence with each other as well as how he moves and what he continues to do in our lives. And we need to take that great delight that God is with us. He continues his presence with each one of us and a lot of us then needs to really think about what it looks like then for that presence of God in our lives. When is the last time you remember enjoying God's presence in your life? Do you delight in his presence? What if we look to God as our main source of joy? What if we stopped trying to find joy or create joy or choose joy, but spent time with the source of joy? I know when I delight in my children is when I get to spend time with them. The last couple of days for winter break with my kids not in school, it's been a joy just spending time with them, especially my youngest one. Because I have three kids, eight, six, and three, and our eight-year-old and our six-year-old were kind of doing a, kind of an art camp this week while I got to spend time with my three-year-old, and he got to be an only child for a week. And we went to the botanical gardens, and he was, Daddy, Daddy, look at this plant, Daddy, Daddy all these things, and just, I got to take delight in how he just looked at a plant and he enjoyed it, or looked at the screen and the different kind of things that they had set up here at the Botanical Gardens, and then we went to the History Museum, and he show, was showing me all the different things in the History Museum, he was showing me, <laughs> taking delight in how much he was enjoying that time together. God is saying to us, do we have that source of joy with God? Are you spending time with him? And when I say spending time with him, we Growing up, if you grew up in the church, well, that equated to, are you doing your quiet times? So are you spending an hour going away and praying for 30, an hour, two hours as a monk somewhere in a cave? <laughs> and for us, I'm finding that the rhythm of what it looks like to find God's presence is in a quiet time in his word. But that looks like where you're, you're just pointing everything, every aspect of life to him. I'm learning it in meeting somebody at a coffee shop. I see God at work and movement, and he teaches me a lot through that interaction. I see it in a movie. I see it in a newspaper. I see it in an article. I see it in all these places. Of course, we see it, and we judge it against God's word. But God is teaching us everywhere in every place, and his presence is right there. And our prayers sometimes look like a one-minute shoot-up prayer that his presence is right there. Sometimes it's that 30-minute, hour, two-hour prayer meeting. Whatever the case is, are we so focused on, do I get to spend that time with him rather than did I do it? And God is saying and calling us back into that delight of relationship with him. Are you enjoying that relationship with him because he delights in you? Do you delight in him? And that will propel you to this new year. And that, that guided me to something I was seeing that people were posting about Tim Keller and his quotes on what's the difference between the gospel and religion. Just let me read a few of those. What's the difference between religion and the gospel? Religion is, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. 
But the gospel is, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Religion is, motivation is based on fear and insecurity. The gospel is, motivation is based on grateful joy. Religion is, I obey God in order to get things from God. The gospel is, I obey God to get to God, to delight and resemble Him. Look at those differences. And this is the last one. If you want to see it, you just look up Religion and Gospel uh, by Tim Keller. The last one I just want to share, because there's a lot more. My identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work or how moral I am. And so I look down on those I perceive as lazy or immoral. I disdain and feel superior to the other. But the gospel is my identity and self-worth are centered on the one who died for his enemies, who excluded from the city for me. I'm saved by sheer grace, so I can't look down on those who believe or practice something different from me. Only by grace, I am what I am. I have no inner need to win arguments. Wow, the gospel here is spelling it out for us in today's time and climate on how we need to interact with each other. No more can we just be superior in our thoughts that we know the truth. We do know the truth. But our attitude is one that needs to match the Gospels, that Jesus died for us in that truth. May we die for others in the truth that we know. The second thing that God is reminding us in this passage is the strength. The Lord mighty, the mighty one. And I love the ESV because it says, we'll save. And too often we think of God in this idea of he's this great defender, which he is. Or he's this great rescuer that rescues me out of all suffering and pain and hurt. And we make Christianity about that. So if I'm suffering, I must not be a good Christian, so I must be really bad. Or God doesn't exist. And neither of those are true. So we're misreading the promise. And the promise is he will rescue us. He will deliver us. He will save us. But it's all in God's timing and what he's going to do and how he's going to write the story, not ours not in our self-comfort or what we want or how we desire it, but he rescues us from sin and death, but also out of all the situations that are going to cause brokenness, and he allows us to see his plan, not ours. Are we able to see that, that he's the mighty one? He is the mighty one that is mighty to save. He's capable and able to do, but he's also wiser than any of us. He's smarter in his grand scheme and plan that he knows what he's doing. And too often now when we talk about this God that, we'll see it in the next kind of section here, of this God that loves us and quiets us with his love, that's so soft. This is a soft God, but he's not a soft God. This mighty Savior that we're talking about here is the same God that they're talking about in this same David's mighty men. It's the same similar words, that he's a mighty hero. He's the defender of the weak and the fatherless, the expression of purpose for the, this mighty warrior that will save his people. God's this mighty warrior that will go through the flames to save us, to rescue us. And he has done it because, again, he sent his son incarnate to save us from our brokenness of sin and the death that we all deserve. There's no doubt about the outcome. There's Jesus who has victory over death. But the timing is where we all struggle. I want it now. I want my rescue now. I want everything now. And that's all on me and my self-absorption again, 
rather than God and in his plans and what he wants to do. So God in his strength who rescues us is a promise and it's something that we can delight in, but we need to delight in the right way, in the right promise. We need to delight in him who has the best for all of us in his intention. And when we go through struggles in life, when we walk with him and know that he saves us, we give him gratitude rather than complaints. For my family, it's a long story. My, my family, my, my parents came from Taiwan in the 60s, and that was a time when uh, they were bringing more from overseas to come and just open up the borders. And my dad came here as a PhD student at MIT. He did his PhD in food science. And here is a, a man whose mantra was, I'm going to build a better life for my family. He grew up in a really poor village in Taiwan, and in order to get out of that poor poverty of a nation, he became first in his class in his high school, then became first of his class in college. He became first of his class in his master's degree in chemistry, which gave him this opportunity and scholarship here in the United States. And there was my dad and my mom. They had their first child, which was my older sister, and then my dad got his first job in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin working for a dairy company, and they had me and my little sister. And from there, my dad got his second job in Andover, Massachusetts. And there, it was there that someone knocked on my parents' door and said, hey, we're going to church. You want to come with us? They're like, what's church? And my mom went and dragged us along, and all of a sudden, God just impacted our life and our heart, knowing that there was something about this that was going on. And from that point, we didn't realize the trajectory of what God was going to do in saving my family's life. Amen. We went to church. My mom heard the gospel, became a believer, found another church and another church and another church that pastors would just feed her and help her understand what it really looked like to be a believer. We moved back to Milwaukee because of my dad's job. She became baptized. She got my dad to get baptized. And then all of us, all of a sudden, our, our family was going to this church with us kids wondering why we were waking up on Sunday morning rather than watching our cartoons. <laughs> Sitting there in the pews wondering what was going on. And finally, a Sunday school teacher asked me, do you want to believe in Jesus? I said, yes. Do you know who Jesus is? No. <laughs> and what I loved about this Sunday school teacher was he would do his class with all the rest of those in the class, and he knew that everyone else knew the answers except for me. So after class, he would explain more details of that story. And I would be indebted to this Sunday school teacher for the ways that he was so patient in teaching me more of the gospel. When the next year, I moved into the 7th and 8th grade class, and the 7th and 8th grade couples that taught that class, the, the man and the wife together, did the same thing. They saw that I wasn't getting all the concepts they were teaching in Galatians and Philippians, and they would ask me to stay a little after class and just explain the details that I didn't get. And there I was, a, a, a teenager, wrestling with who is this God that my parents now know, and finally he broke me down to say, I surrender. I surrender to this God that wants my life and admit that I had nothing. I had nothing. I didn't know what it meant that I was a sinner until that point that I had nothing without God. My siblings were a little harder. My older sister, she had gone to university at that time. She, my mom would tear me out of bed because she knew I was a believer now. 
So at about 7 o'clock in the morning before school, we're praying for your sister. Oh, okay. <laughs> Every day she would do that, but she would only make me do that once a week. <laughs> Pull me out on a Friday. Hey, we're praying for your sister. So we're praying for my sister over, uh, in, that was going to university in Illinois while we were out in New York. And she would pray for her every day. It wasn't until five years later that my older sister met a Christian in Chicago that she would become a believer. And we all flew out in Easter Sunday to see her get baptized with her, her husband. Then my younger sister, we thought, oh, a piece of cake. Everyone else is a believer now. She'll become a believer. And my younger sister, nope, she dug in even further. My whole family abandoned me. I'm not going to believe a believer in how. And again, the gospel, the mighty savior, mighty warrior. This was a child now that was forced to go to church, saw young kids and said, what's your problem? That was my sister. And God melted her heart away. Melted all the hatred that was in her heart. All the things that were going on in her life that was broken because of an absent father or the different friends that were betraying her. All those things were being melted away by the gospel. Even a brother that was really mean to her. But God was taking the story of my family and showing us that he was the victorious warrior that came to rescue a family that was lost, without life, that he would do it in his timing and his plan. I just want to end this sermon with just the last part of it, which is going to be the most important part, which is God's love. God's love that rejoices over us with singing. An overjoyed father, he will take great delight in you. He'll be quiet in his love, and he'll rejoice over you with singing. Now, before I go into this portion, I just wanted to, I'm so reminded by Jesus' baptism. And you said, Jesus' baptism in this. Jesus' baptism in John or Matthew 3. If you remember it, Jesus is telling John the Baptist, you need to baptize me. He said, what, you baptize me? I'm so... I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You need to baptize me. So John the Baptist relents and he baptizes him. The heavens open, the dove comes down, and a voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Now think about that. 30 years of Jesus' life, he was born incarnate, he came onto earth, he did nothing. Remember, he's done nothing yet. It's from then that it starts fast-forwarding. Three years of ministry now starts the Gospels, right? But the first Three chapters of Matthew or, or just Luke is Jesus being born as well as just the baptism. He hasn't even gone through the temptations yet. He's done nothing to this point. And the whole heavens open up and God looks down and the voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. He's well pleased with him even though Jesus hasn't done anything yet. And he looks down at all of us and we all think we got to do all these great things before God will say, oh, I'm well pleased with you. I, He's delighted in us because we do all this service for him. Or he's delighted in us because I do all these things for him. And he looks down from heaven right now, like he looked down at his son, and he calls us children of God, and he says, I delight in you. We've done nothing, even before you do anything for him, or you do anything that shows that you're redeemed, before you do anything that proves that you get it, he loves you. He loves you, and he delights over you. And he's saying this here now, that he will take great delight in you. He looks at each one of us, he takes great delight in you. And that he knows that he quiets us with his love. So think about a child that is really scared at something. I know my kids go hysterical when they see something that's really bothering them, or a sibling that's fighting. 
my, your, my brother just hurt me. And then they come running to us, and then we can quiet that child with our love, me and my wife. Just holding my daughter in our arms, she'll start kind of, she'll whimper and then start, stop crying. God is softening us when we fear, when we're anxious, when we're worried, when we have any kind of emotion. God quiets us with his love. He brings us into his arms and he quiets us with his love. Then he sings over us. There's that, 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 that kind of a contrast to show us the great difference. There's this great delight umbrella. And first he quiets us with his love, but then he also, he's our greatest cheerleader. He sings over us. Now, I was having a hard trouble because I don't sing very well. My daughter doesn't like it when I sing to her. So I was trying to picture people that, like Mary, singing over us. Can you picture just this great angelic voice just singing great praises over us? But God is not just singing over us. A good translation in the Hebrew is he is shouting for joy over us. So if you want to see shouts of joy, you see parents at a soccer game. My daughter was playing uh, kindergarten, first grade, second grade soccer. And if you want to see parents cheer on their kids, you go to a soccer game. Go, da, 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 go, da, da. No matter what they're doing, too. And they're just cheering with full steam, cheering on their, their child. And that's the kind of thing that I think God is doing when He's saying He sings over us with joy. He shouts for joy over us. He's cheering us on because He loves us so much. That's that energy right there. And God is saying He rejoices over us, He delights in us so much that he quiets us with his love, and he cheers us on. Go for it. You can do it. I believe in you because I love you. Those are the great mysteries that God has for each one of us, but he promises us. And when we see that picture of how God delights in us, can we delight in him? Can each one of us in this room delight in the ways that God delights in us? And that will be the source of our joy that allows us to perpetuate that message to others. That's what it's all about, right? God wants us to continue to share that with our neighbors, with the community, and the rest of the world. So may God bless us in this new year by delighting in him that we may delight in those around us because he shows us that he's created us. He's our creator. He's our savior. He's our mighty warrior that rescue, and he'll guide us to do his work. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the promise that you delight in us. You delight in us so much that we can delight in you. And that needs to be something we need to share with the broken world around us. That we're able to know the gospel and what Jesus has done for us by dying on the cross. But knowing that incarnational living, that you love us before we do anything. Knowing that that picture of what you've done now allows us to share with the world that desperately needs it. Now help us to go with joy, knowing that we can find joy in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.